2: It's the second time he's gone on. They Never got home, they never got home, they never got home, those those And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you?
3: Yes. Good right. lad. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever.
1: It's the Irish Times second captain's podcast pre-Wales and Ireland in studio. Oh my debit. Kieran Murphy. Hello there And Ken Erdy. Hi, I know you. Can any of us honestly say that we have never in our professional lives punched a producer? I mean look at them there getting in our ear, bossing us around. Ask this, ask that. Sit up straight, pick up the energy, rein in the energy. As far as I'm concerned. Energy, God that
4: annoys me so much. What are you doing with your hands? (laughs) Put up your hands. What does it even
1: mean? Use your
4: hands. Don't use your hands.
1: As far as I'm concerned, these guys have gone unpunched for far too long. Murph, remember the tear-up you had with Simon last week after you said that US Murph was at spring break, mm, when he was yeah. actually at spring training.
4: Spring training, yeah. Yeah, that got pretty ugly. That got really ugly there. Still, I put him in his place.
1: You've seen the detail that's emerged on Clarkson over the last day or so?
3: Well, I read that he um, he was kept a helicopter waiting for a while. I mean, I read this in the Daily Mail, so, you know, with that asterisk. So he, got the, he, got the, he kept the helicopter waiting. Uh, they said he sat in the pub. And they didn't say he, what he was doing in the pub, just that he was sitting in the pub. And then that he got on the helicopter a couple of hours late, and so they go back to the hotel, and, oh, the chef's gone. You know, at some point, the chef finishes work. You know, Waldorf salad type situation. And uh, and Clarkson wants a steak, obviously a steak, you know, red, running with, with blood. And yeah. uh, he wants a bunch of other things like, you know, cherry tomatoes and, I don't know, pink peppercorn sauce. Mm. A lot um, of a lot
1: of purists think that that ruins a steak in pink peppercorn sauce, well, I, I, or any sauce.
3: You know, if the steak's, if the, well, you know, I mean, to be honest, I don't mind I Sauce, sauce is good. Steak, fine. But you know, equally, uh, if it's late, the chef's already gone home. Cold platter, sure, I'll eat that. Apparently, he said, "What you mean? There's no food," and uh, this caused an altercation with Ushine uh, Thymen. I think is the name of the yep producer. Uh, and then uh, punch may or may not have been thrown. I don't know. He was allegedly
1: smacked by Clarkson. Smacked, like actually
3: punched. P- allegedly, le- actually, <laughs> allegedly punched.
1: No, that's, if, if if
4: the word is smacked, then I would. I smacked, would say like slap, open. slapped
3: yes. like a backhanded slap across yeah. the face. I would
4: say that's open hand.
3: <laughs> right. That's
4: if you get a smack, that could be a punch. But if if you are smacked, smacked, then I think that's open hand. One way in, in, in
3: the manner the, in the, the smacked in the way that doesn't do a child any harm. <laughs> that never never did a child anyhow when you that kind of a smack are yeah. you
4: chatling take Jackson, him over or? take
3: him over his knee and you know give him a bit of a paddling is that what we 're talking about mm.
4: so that's the sort of thing that built the empire I
3: have never behaved in that way Owen, in terms of you know punched a producer or something over food. I suppose i 'd worry that if that if I did do something like that, people might think I was a bit of a you know, it might lower my standing in the eyes of, of those around me if I was to behave in that way. But some people are able to break on through Well, that this sort is the thing.
1: More than seven hundred thousand people are just it was actually last I checked it was around seven hundred thousand people had signed this petition. seven hundred thousand people had signed this petition to have Jeremy Clarkson reinstated. It amused me when Clarkson's fans describe him as oh, he's politically incorrect. With the insinuation that he's just a little too edgy for the beeb. For those stuffy suits at the BBC, too hot to handle for the establishment. I don't see how allegedly punching a producer or repeatedly using racially offensive language can just be put down to being in politically incorrect. It's actually quite nasty at times.
4: It's just boorish behaviour.
3: Mm. A it's just stunt.
1: Really awful behaviour.
3: A stunt boor who gets paid an enormous amount of money for. Doing these kind of stunts, yeah. well, not, not that he gets paid specifically for uh, the various sort of obnoxious, uh, you know, incidents which you're referring to, their own. Um, but I suppose it does help to to keep his profile up in a way. You know, I mean that that sort of that edgy persona uh, is what he's ultimately getting paid for, really, mm. isn't it?
1: You sent me on a uh, a piece that Stuart Lee, the comic, did, which on, everyone should watch on Top Gear. It he's, it easily, done, easily, he's done a few bits and pieces <laughs> on Top Gear.
3: <laughs> yeah, he, he's not. I wouldn't say he was a huge fan of yeah. Top Gear. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, whether Top Gear, mm. you know, all I'll say is that you know, history shows us that shows can continue without their uh, original presenters quite, quite comfortably. Right. <laughs> it's not. It's not necessarily a big deal. Uh, everyone moves on and. Uh, you know it, that's, that, that could be the way this turns out well there is
1: this thing that, oh this is the gravy train and all this kind of stuff. this makes so much money too much money for the BBC, well, see, this, the, this, BBC this. the BBC makes uh, a fair bit of money at a Top Gear uh, the estimates are somewhere around 10, 20, 30 million something like that a year uh, there's a figure of 200 see, it makes million. massive money well the there's thing. a figure of 200 million or something being bandied about but I think that might be what it grosses I don't think well, they do have to then pay Jeremy Clarkson they have to pay a lot of people involved in producing the TV show but I don't think it's going to destroy the BBC. The BBC make a lot more money from the good licence paying public in the UK than they're ever going to do from one individual show and one individual presenter, so I don't know quite how huge, married they yeah. are to Clarkson.
4: Yeah, it's a huge world service hit and all the rest, but I mean you know, at some stage you're going to have to say, right, this guy is actually just he's not very nice to work with.
3: Yeah, I mean it's the thing you know uh, I, I don't, to treat, to treat people that way, you can No one knows what really went on there, but, you know, the the kind of outline of it that you can hear, you know, you've got someone who's in a subordinate position who apparently has failed to, you know... Come up to standards on like, the, the fact that, it's, that it's re, he's failed to provide a steak on. You what know. well, a
1: witness said, Ken. It was suggested he could have a cheese platter, a meat platter, a soup, <laughs> or another bar snack, but he was not having it.
3: Yeah, you did. Apparently, you, your helicopter was kept waiting. You know, if <laughs> you don't got into the helicopter on time. Okay, again, very, again, I'm in, getting into the details. Yeah. But the fact, the fact is, you know, to, to become physically abusive to a subordinate, allegedly.
4: No. I, I would say that the seven hundred thousand people that all said Jeremy Clarkson must be reinstated I mean they, they can see where he's coming from I mean who here hasn't kept a helicopter waiting for two hours while you're in the pub mm. and then punched someone when you realised that you couldn't have a steak at 11 o'clock <laughs> like, I mean if if you haven't done, <laughs> that, done then, that then you're a better man than me
1: Clarkson's week got a little bit worse last night Ken because he escaped to the sanctuary of Stamford Bridge where he was spotted supporting Chelsea as they humbled they were humbled by PSG I
3: saw that yeah um, he was in the In the crowd, uh, at his beloved Chelsea, I thought that uh, I'd heard earlier in the day that that was his one regret from the whole affair, that he would have to miss the Chelsea game as a result of, you know, the changes to his arrangements he'd had to make. Uh, But it seemed that he was able to to turn up there anyway. So disappointing night for him. Not a great day overall. Not a great couple of days. Not a great day, but I was using
1: that as a segue into talking about the Chelsea game.
3: Yeah. It was It was ultimately... Uh, Eamon
1: Dunphy said after the match that he revealed on air that John Giles jumped up in celebration at the final whistle. He said, I haven't seen John do that very often uh, over the, the years that we've been working <laughs> together, but there was a feeling, John Giles certainly felt it. I think a lot of people really shared it, that yes. Jose Mourinho got his comeuppance last night.
3: Really, a lot of people felt that way, I think. Um, you know, and, and in the game, there was the, it was sort of set off by the sending office that time, which was ridiculously harsh, in the way in which Chelsea... Um, Chelsea's obvious gamesmanship in in trying to ensure that that happened, uh, and then Chelsea's failure to make failure to to respond to the chance that they'd been given. Your opponent is down to ten; he's weakened. Finish him off. Now now's the time for Chelsea to... Like
4: yeah, Bar- they could probably do without Bayer Medic. Uh- having a man advantage against uh, Donetsk in the other quarterfinal and mercilessly humiliating them 7-0. <laughs>
3: and a friend of mine actually pointed out after that, the thing I kind of like about Bayern is the way that they celebrate their seventh goal every bit as wi- wildly <laughs> yeah. as their first. <laughs> they just don't they, they just don't really seem to think, well, hang on, you know, should maybe we don't. I mean, whatever about easing off, obviously we're not going to do that, but we're not even going to ease off on the dial down the celebrations even. But... Um, you know, in the in the case of Chelsea it was just it was embarrassing and uh yeah, they they got what they deserved. You lose at home to ten men, you concede two set piece goals, as Mourinho said, but you, you can't do any better than you did. Yeah, you deserve to lose.
1: Uh, even afterwards, Mourinho was he takes enough credit when they win, uh, and then when they lose, it seems as though, well, I was interested in one of his comments. His yeah, and we've got a football podcast already out, so you can listen to a bit more about the football there. But just, not even that it was everyone else's fault, that's maybe predictable, somewhat predictable. But having another go with the fans, mm. he, seemed, he, seemed, he said essentially that the players didn't manage to handle the expect the pressure heaped by the fans. And that pressure was based on the supporters not understanding that, they're just, that Chelsea were trying to control the game. It's a similar issue that Manchester United face at the moment. Anytime they get the ball and pass it backwards, the supporters are all Attack. screaming. Attack. Uh,
3: this is what Mourinho said is, uh, when a team can't cope with the pressure of being one player more, of uh, the, the pressure of having an extra man, uh, playing at home, the pressure of playing at home, which, you know, most... Uh, You've you know,
4: named two advantages so far, Joseph. One,
3: what we used to think of as advantages. And uh, the stadium doesn't accept the team to control the game and want the team to win it. Imagine... Forty thousand morons at Stamford Bridge with Jeremy Clarkson at their head, <laughs> demanding that Chelsea go and win the game against ten men against the ten man opposition at home on you know Champions League under the floodlights. Chelsea go and win the game, morons! If this crowd only gave us twenty five percent of what that crowd at Liverpool gives gives that team, <laughs> that's something that that's something Mourinho said earlier in the season. You know, yeah. So I I can't can imagine Chelsea fans if if they read this if they come across these quotes they're going to think, yeah oh, what you're saying, we don't actually understand football enough to say well, actually, the thing to do here is to control the game. We've got a half goal, away goal advantage. Maybe that's not the way. The way is to go and win the game. Go and score a couple of goals. Kill Paris Saint-Germain. Put the game...
4: Control the game by going 2-0 up and then killing it that's controlling the That's game.
3: real control. The, what you're doing here is is balancing on a, on a cliff edge. You know, trying to cling to the cliff face of your narrow lead and it's it's a, it's a lead which can be, you know, every time they get a corner. Suddenly everyone in the stadium's going, oh, "No." You know, if you score a goal, score a couple of goals, then everybody can maybe sing a few songs. Maybe you get some of the support that you're looking for from, from that you see when you go to visit other stadiums.
1: Are we going to get uh, look ahead to Cheltenham a little bit later on to the Gold Cup, I should say, uh, later in the show? We've we'll got a few tips for you there. But first up, it is Wales against Ireland this Saturday. Simon has patched things up since his most recent dust-up with Murph. Simon, how are you? Hey, how's it going? The Ireland team is in. No great surprises?
5: No huge surprises because it was, I suppose it was leaked that Jamie Heaslip was going to be okay. Sexton was going to be okay. It's still a surprise that Jamie Hislop has recovered so quickly from those broken vertebrae. Uh, has trained well, Joe Schmidt told us today. A couple of things about it. Sean O'Brien has been named twice in teams. He had to pull out, obviously, in the warm-up in one of them and after a few minutes with concussion another one of them. And maybe that's coincidence, maybe it's not, but I think when somebody's been out as long as he has been, I think you just pick up those sort of things. Your timing isn't quite as good. You're just not as fresh, not as elastic as a player who's been playing for the last few months. So there's a little bit of doubt over Hislop has been so free of injury for so long, but this season he hasn't been. So there's doubts over the two of them. And then I think uh, when you look at the two teams, the Wales obviously named theirs earlier in the week, I think Wales might be strong in the areas that hurt Ireland or that hurt the type of game that Ireland play. So when you compare the two, the the Welsh back three, they have two full backs in Happiny and Williams there. Um, And in the Welsh back row, they're probably the best back row in the Northern Hemisphere dealing with... Uh, the Irish uh, Rook play, which is extremely efficient and being the reason we've won 10 games in a row.
1: Well, let's hear a little bit from Joe Schmidt, who was speaking today at the team announcement. He was asked if he was expecting any tactical surprises from Warren Gatland.
0: It's almost
2: double jeopardy to start to think about what he might think we might think we're going to do and then think that we might think about doing something else. And, and I'm not that smart. So I got lost at the first thing. And um, so we'll, we'll just try to work away, uh, vary our game and uh, play as much as we can to our strengths, and probably people have reported on some of those, and, and, you know, whether they're known or not, uh, I think if you play to them well enough, um, you know, even even taking into account that they do 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 a really good job in behind the line, um, you know, you hope that, that... as much of that as possible comes off.
1: It's the usual uh, politeness from Joe. You can you can almost see the smile on his face, uh, the the friendly smile, as he's batting away the idea that he's yeah. going to overanalyze things. When we all know that he he does overanalyze. He'll certainly be trying to second guess Warren Gatland.
5: But it was the only answer he gave where there was a tiny bit of insight that he will continue to play the way he's played. Just that they need to
1: execute it even better than they've done before. Joe Schmidt was uh, that was Joe Schmidt speaking today we'll get back to that but you you caught up with Shane Williams Welsh Wing Wizard in Dublin this week
4: yeah
5: I don't know if he was in town you you do have to
4: call him Welsh Wing Mm. Wizard two little scrappy dudes talking about their, well, uh, Simon is disappointed last week. Sized frames. Si- I'm sure.
5: First ever rugby player I've interviewed that I'm taller than.
1: <laughs> Simon went to meet Conor Murray last week, and he was thinking, "This guy's a scrum half. I I, I play scrum half. This should be another little tiny pocket rocket." And he meets this beast, mountain
4: <laughs> Conor. Conor Murray. Uh, Shane Williams was actually small, I assume.
5: Yeah, he really is. It's a, he's only retired three or four years, but it just seems impossible that he ever played at that level.
4: They said he was the man who was too small to play rugby. Uh, talks to the man who was actually too small to play rugby. <laughs> That's basically, that's basically what we're. What about to a, think. What he actually he was
5: in town with Guinness because that made a more campaign really good ad actually. But he, uh, I, because the two teams have been named, I just asked him which one did he think was the more gifted, the more talented.
2: Uh, I, to be honest, we were very evenly matched from from prop to full back. You know, when you look at player, player to player, they couldn't be a more matched team really. Uh, in fairness, that's why I think you know behind the scenes may win this game. The tactics, the. The war room, so to speak, and and uh, and the Joe Smith and the the Warren Gatlin factor might win this game because, from 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 beginning to end, they're very physically matched, um, and you know the flair that they have behind the back line as well is is equally matched as well. So it makes for a great game.
5: It's funny you say that because a bit of the feeling or the narrative in the media here certainly is that this Irish team. It's not the most talented we've had over the last ten, fifteen years or so, but that we've got this super coach. How do you feel about the players? That they're obviously playing to a system; uh, they're not expressing themselves as, previous, uh, as much as previous Irish teams. But you think they're pretty talented?
2: I, I think they're very talented. I think um, you know it's it's easy enough to say uh, for Joe Schmidt to say, "Right, I want to play like this, and this is what we're going to do." But it's even harder to uh, to go out there and and do that and uh, and fulfil that. And at the moment, Ireland. Winning games without having to show uh, show much of of the cards that they 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 dealt at the moment, but when you look at the players they do have in the squad, they're more than capable of um, of playing with flair. That's for sure, and I think it's a very talented squad.
5: Do you think that the two best coaches, are certainly in this competition, maybe in the world?
2: Um, well, I, I'm a bit you know obviously I, I've, I've worked with Warren Gatlin. I certainly know that he's a good coach and he has good coaching staff behind him. Um, with with Joe Schmidt obviously I've um, I've I've played against teams he's coached like Leinster and so on and tactically he's probably one of the best best coaches out there that's for sure you know we, we all know uh, you know the mind games that Warren Garton likes to play with but no one really knows uh, what Joe Schmidt's got up his sleeve really so it, it makes for an interesting battle
5: You mentioned there that Ireland have won their games without having to show too much of their hands so far does it happen in, in this elite level of rugby that Coaches hold something back for the bigger games that maybe he thought, you know, what we can win those home games and beat Italy just through efficiency and, and sticking to the basics. But with Wales, who possibly are the team that uh, offer the are pose the biggest challenge in terms of a backline, anyway, that he might need to turn something else on. Do, do, do coaches hold something back ever in, in your experience in your career?
2: I don't know whether it's hold, hold anything back or, or or anything. To be honest with you, I think you know the good coaches depending on which team they play in, uh, you know, can change their tactics week in, week out. And like I say, with with Ireland at the moment, without having played an expansive game, which I think they are more than capable of doing, you know, are they deliberately holding back Tommy Bow and these kind of players? No, I don't think so. They're just playing a style of rugby that that's winning them games. Um can they play an expansive game? I think they can.
1: Yeah so Shane Williams sounds like uh a nice quietly spoken uh, man and not not one to give too much uh, too much away even
5: no i think he was slightly aware of giving any ammunition to the Irish team or the, Dublin Irish media, ahead yeah. of the game you're probably uh, yeah with Warren there, G- there is a growing sense though even in what he said there that this is the two best coaches in the northern hemisphere a little bit of the shine has gone off gatland relative to early in his career in the middle of his career um, Joe Schmidt's very much the man but does does Gatland have a surprise in him where Shane feels like Joe has m- maybe more to come from whereas
1: Gatland maybe has shown his hand over the last few years Shane Horgan is ready to go Shane the team is in today pretty much as expected although Jamie Heasel his ability to get back from the broken vertebrae as Simon said that's I mean that's a little bit of a, a surprise are you surprised about that?
0: Yeah, I don't know if it's expected, because I certainly didn't expect Jamie Heath to be back on his feet and play the Six Nations uh, game by, uh, by the end of this Six Nations, given the seriousness of the injury or what it appeared to be um, against the, sustained against the French. But And the fact that he's come straight back in as well may be somewhat of a surprise just because of the outstanding performance um, from, from uh, Jordy Murphy and Tommy O'Donnell in the back row. Um, not to mention, I think, well... Um, O'Manny is, is a lockdown, but those other two guys have came in, have come in, and they've performed remarkably well. Tommy O'Donnell has brought a rucking game, a ferocity, a ruck time that um, I haven't seen outside of New Zealand. I think.
1: Yeah, and it's a funny one because with, with Joe, we've seen in the international setup that he's been willing to. Work with guys who aren't first choices. Put trust in them, and if they repay that, then they can often stay in the team. Uh, it seems may- maybe one or two, one or two of his regulars, though, uh, supersede that. Obviously, Sexton will be one, and it seems like he's and Sean O'Brien are too important to him not to play in these massive games.
0: I think they're world players. They're the, the, the players that you've just mentioned. there are a world level. Sexton stands alone at um, in Ireland. I think he's the best. Probably in the world at the moment, but also I think the 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 level between Sexton and the next best ten in Ireland is a significant drop, and that isn't the case so much uh, for the back row. So it just does go to show what um, the coach thinks of of both um, Sean O'Brien and uh, and Tommy O'Donnell. Oh, sorry, and and uh, Jamie Heaslip.
5: Would Keen Healy not have been at that level as well, Shane? He would have been seen as maybe one of our Lions starters, one of our the the heroes really of the team in the last few years.
0: Yeah, you would have thought so. Um, again, another real pat on the back for for um, Jack McGrath, though, and he does bring a slightly different game. Um, he is he's again an excellent excellent rock time, very good defensive line. If you look at Jack McGrath, you follow him, do a little player cam on him for ten fifteen minutes. Very good at being in the right position. Very comfortable, uh, not just on either side of the ruck. He can slip out to, to second defender or third defender and link up with that first back position that a lot of props find difficult. His work rate is exceptional. He's, you'll never see him lying on the ground. He's straight up onto his feet now in two ways. He's straight back up onto his feet. One after he makes his initial tackle, he's one of the best front row forwards around for getting up and doing the secondary job of driving over the ruck or affecting the back end of the of the tackle as. as the technical term is and when he's not doing that he's up off the ground and he's in the defensive line and if you can get the, the, the fewer players you can have on the ground and the more you can have in the defensive line the better for every team and that's what r- really impresses coaches so yeah listen I'm with you Keen Healy I think is again is a one off and, and he's a remarkable player remarkable carrier um, but we now have serious strength and depth and Outside of just this Six Nations, if you look, if we're looking forward, and we all sort of do have one eye, whether we like it or not, to the World Cup, you're looking at a group of players now, and a core group of players that have potential to, you think these these guys could really succeed, they could do something special. If you look at the, you know, the English team in 2003, you look at the Australian teams uh, gone by, the teams that have been very successful at World Cup. Th- time outside New Zealand because New Zealand stand is, stands alone and apart. But they're based around a, a group of really high-class um, individuals in key positions. And we look to have a lot of those now. Shane, when you look at the
5: two fifteens or the two squads selected, the Welsh and the Irish teams, do you fear that maybe Welsh are strong in the places that are bad for this Irish team and the way this Irish team currently play. That's namely in the back row and the back three. The back row, obviously, of Warburton, Fallatown, Lydiot, and then the Welsh back three in terms of kick retrieval, which is another of our key strengths.
0: Yeah, they're very good. They're very good at... Um Uh, at retrieving their own kicks the the whole welsh team i think that's a big focus it's something that we've used a lot and we've had big gains from it but the welsh back three and right through the team are very effective at regathering their own kicks and I, i think like most teams they ireland find it difficult to defend against what they're good at and what they're usually good at imposing on the opposition so that'll be an interesting play to see how that works out but I think we're we're quite strong. I think we're quite strong um, under the high ball. So I don't think it's going to be as big an issue in, in the back row. I, I don't. You see, I think we're very balanced side at the moment. I think there's not a, too many areas that we're going to be hugely uncomfortable with. Um, well, for me, the main thing that Wales bring that is going to cause Ireland problems is if they play their huge carrying possession game. Um because I think they're probably a, physically they're probably a bigger side than us and they're more used to that you know that that um grinding repetitive ball carry after carry after carry and if they get that going in deep in the Ireland half I think Ireland find, will find it difficult to to um, stop that their penetration if Wales try and implement that from deep I think Ireland are much more effective at stopping it in deeper positions and Wales themselves can fall into a position where they refuse to kick and they just go from side to side to side to side but when they do If they play a bit of territory and get down into the, uh, into an Irish half and Ireland can't clear their lines, which they have done so far very successfully, then the, the repetition of, of phase after phase and ball carrier after ball carrier and, and low-risk plays, I think Ireland actually find it quite difficult to to uh, deal with that, especially later on in the game when they're a little bit tired. Well, it's interesting, you, what,
1: what you talk about there when Wales do start doing too much of that in their own half. I think that's what they probably fell victim to against England in the second half. They seem to do a lot of that aimless stuff and England soaked it up really well. How can Ireland impose themselves on it How can Ireland engineer a situation where they force Wales to play a little bit too much like that in their own half
0: Yeah and that's going to be uh, again a, a kicking issue and I, there's been a huge amount made of the Irish kicking game and I think it's been actually quite a sophisticated game plan it hasn't been just boot and hope um, and i think they've used different strategies for every game so far if you look at if you look at the italian strategy they used their kicked very early from deep because the italians were up flat and um, against the french they actually moved it deep at their own half wait for the french to come up because they were leaving three four five men back and then kicked and then if you saw it against the english they uh kick to compete, and they competed very well against um, a back three that weren't fantastic. So we've seen three different strategies. I think we're going to see something different again at the weekend. I think you might see a little bit more kicking from 13. I think you're going to see kicking in behind the, the, the two wingers and asking the full-back questions. That's going to that's going to occur, and that's going to be interesting to see how Wales deal with that. Um, I don't think, for all the the talent they have in their back line, I don't think they turn very well when the ball is kicked in behind them. Um, and when if you do that, you're going to put Wales in a position where... You know, they're not going to. It's not in their nature to kick the ball back every single time. They're going to start running, and when they do, do that. Um, hopefully, Ireland can trap them in, the, in their own defensive zone.
1: Wayne Barnes is drafted in for this one, Shane, as referee. I, I, I try to avoid talking too much about refs. Uh, there's almost too, too much time given over to them, I think, sometimes, in certainly in, in rugby punditry. But maybe it's the right thing to do, particularly in a case like this when uh, he wasn't initially supposed to be the referee. And there seemed to be a lot of groaning and moaning from an Irish point of view, not from the, the camp, but from Irish fans and media when he was named. Uh, why is it that we have such an issue with Wayne Barnes?
0: Uh, I'm I'm not certain if we do have a particular issue with Wayne Barnes. I'm not sure if the players have a particular issue with him. Um, I haven't heard a huge amount about it. Um, he can be a little bit pernickety, I think, and he can be a little bit uh, pedantic, especially on calls like uh, um, players going through the gate at offensive rook time, and it, that can be that can be something that can be grating for fans watching as well. You think, well, listen, there's momentum going forward here. If, there is, if it's a little bit of a close call you've got to give it to the, the team going forward and if there's a momentum building it's a, the best way to, to destroy a game is to start making really harsh calls on the attacking team's rucking technique because we all know that there's a million different uh, penalties that can be given away or free kicks can be given away at ruck time and if we become or code, uh, if uh, sorry referees become very pedantic on it then it can totally destroy a game the other one is the ongoing issue with the uh, scrum time and um because it's a bit of a lottery, and because there's so many different opinions in it, and you could you could ask a front rower or three front rowers uh, to look at three scrums, and every time they'd give a different, um, they the three of them would give different uh, um, answers to why a penalty was given away or why another penalty should have been given away. So um, I think it's, it can be frustrating from from um, a player's point of view, but I think that then can. Feed out into the into the public and and to you know commentators like us.
1: Ireland seem to be quite good at dealing with the refs, so don't they? I mean, Joe Schmidt. They, everyone has their meetings during the week. I'm sure Joe Schmidt speaks well at those. Uh, Paul O'Connell seems to deal quite well, or, or is it just that we actually don't infringe as much as some of the other teams? Because generally, well, certainly our penalty count got back down again against England.
0: Yeah, I think that's. I don't know how much that is necessarily appeasing the referee. If you look at um, the game against England, England are a very or they have been a very disciplined side giving away few penalties and um, they've had huge rewards as a result of that to be one of the mainstays of the game Um, you couldn't say that the first three penalties that they gave away against Ireland which were very early in the game were anything to do with refereeing decisions they were just appalling discipline of players that were either overhyped up or um weren't um tuned into what they were doing or you know sometimes you can you can may you know have a bit of a gamble and generally speaking gambles aren't too smart uh, on a rugby pitch because if you get pinged on them the the cost is very high and it was for him that the at the weekend so I don't know if uh, appeasing a referee or keeping referees happy necessarily has a huge influence. It, it's always good to have a, a decent relationship with them. I think it's good to uh, to reinforce a media message over the long term that you're not a side that gives away uh, penalties at, at, uh, at scrum time. You've got a strong scrum and to reinforce the fact that you are very respectful of the offside line and that it's part of your culture to... Um, not to give away penalties because it's like anything else if you have a reputation for getting up early in the morning you can sleep all day and I think teams that are very often it's the dominant teams um, that have a reputation for something even if they fall away from that and that's no longer the case anymore over the course of time there's a residual uh, memory there from referees uh, that give them that break and I think beca- I think that's demonstrated really well with New Zealand because it seems to be, no matter how New Zealand pl- play or what fells they potentially give away, they're always on the good, the good side of referees because they just think of New Zealand. Everybody grew up New Zealand as the best team in the world and they're always considered that.
1: What's your prediction? You sound reasonably confident?
0: I'm reasonably confident. <laughs> I'm, I'm not massively confident. Uh, It's very difficult to go to Cardiff and win. Um, They're going to be very dogged. um, And Ireland haven't. I I don't think Ireland have played their best uh, rugby yet. And that's a positive thing. I think the players, even players like Conor Murray, who I think has done really well, I think he can go to a different level. I think the kicking game can get more accurate and we can get more um, mileage from it. I think our passing game and our running game can be a lot more accurate and it can be more incisive of the result. If we up our level to the level that we can play at while retaining some of the elements that we had already, I think we can definitely win. But if we play at the same level maybe as we've had uh, thus far, I think we might struggle a little bit. Shane? Enjoy the game, thanks a million.
1: Thanks a
3: So He's almost like having a second captain, isn't he? <sighs> second captain, first captain, whatever.
1: Richie Sadler's here, Richie, how are you? How are you, lads? How are you, lads? Richie, how are you, lads? How are you doing this week? I'm marvellous.
0: Look at the joy on my face. Look how happy I was. What the <laughs> fuck happened? <laughs> no, really. You know, what happened? When John
4: was young, everyone in the city
0: knew about it,
6: but that would have seen it.
0: You know? It is not war and death and famine. It's not that at all. It's the opposite of that. It's persuaded of the world outside of that. That's why sport's important.
1: Have I misread the reaction to Wayne Barnes being appointed referee? I, I, I got the sense that there seemed to be a bit of a, ugh, Wayne Barnes. Not sure, not sure yeah. we want him.
5: I think you touched on it there, that I think because everything about Ireland is control and and controlling the variables and possession and territory and not letting the opposition do anything, this is a variable that Joe Schmidt will be fearful of because Wayne Barnes, he's a good referee but he has the capacity to surprise and I think that's what something that's something Joe May would hate more than anything else he wouldn't mind so much a bad referee that does the same bad thing every week but Wayne Barnes changes what he really cares about every week
1: I did say that we haven't talked about refs that often but it is kind of important Shane makes a really good point there at the end that if you get into the habit of being on the right side of referees you'll probably remain on the right side of referees New Zealand are the prime example of that
5: Yeah we've spoken about uh, to various ex-players and even some current players about the level of detail that Ruby players go into now with referees and it's, it's obviously technical details, the video analysts go into it, but it's also personality detail. We've spoken about this before on the show, mm-hmm. but that it literally goes down to the level of is this a guy that I pester? Should I be argumentative with him? Should I make any body contact? Should I put my hand on his shoulder? Uh, should I make eye contact? Genuinely, that... This is how big of an influence referees have. As you say, it's boring because it gets analysed so much, but it's also, uh, more than any other mainstream sport, it affects the result.
1: You look incredulous,
3: Ken. I'm shocked by that. Why? Well, I mean, in, in football, it was considered a slightly dirty trick when Luis Argonnez told his, his Spain players, just call the linesman by his first name. His first name is, you know, Jose Maria, whatever. Um, just make sure you call him by his first name and you'll find you'll be offside a lot less. And uh, apparently you know, something you'd work. But this kind of idea that you're actually analyzing the personality of the ref to see how you um, treat him is is uh astonishing.
4: Well it's it's actually pretty easy in games as well and in football. Basically treat the treat the referee even in some small way like a human being. Yeah. And uh, you're already well on the way you're already treating him five hundred percent better than the opposition are. Uh, so it's it's a pretty easy game to play. In those three sports, at least.
5: Well, players train and prepare for years to not be influenced by crowd and the people around them and the opposition. Refs don't get any of that training. Uh, so obviously they're incredibly influenced
3: by the personality of the people around them. But do you, does the um, the fact, I mean, it's only the captain who's supposed to talk to the referee anyway.
5: Yeah, that's the other thing. You have a reasoned argument in rugby with the referee, so it does actually
3: influence. It. So does the captain now have to be kind of a like diplomat?
4: Yeah, I think well. I mean, can you, can you can you
3: well, have a captain argument, with poor social skills?
5: No. This is the argument with England. Chris Robshaw has a great personality, but his skill levels aren't at what some of the other English number sevens might be. But his ability to deal with a referee is so good.
3: What about the spot. if you had a captain like Owen McDavid, for instance? Not good. No, all I'm saying really right, is Owen, Owen McDavid. You know Owen McDavid as a as a silver tongued talker, <laughs> right? But I don't <laughs> That's know. If, people know him again I don't know if you've ever seen him playing football. And when, I just you know, like to join my teammates sometimes you do sometimes there's a decision or you know there's something a 50-50 call of some kind Oh, McDevitt can get quite strident
4: is the, P- the Peter Schmeichel of our 5 side if IVV4 were ever to produce a programme called when good journalists go bad <laughs> you would see footage of O McDevitt playing 5 side football
1: loads of this and on yep. his
4: teammates so I got verbal uh, I got verbally assaulted uh, just really? yesterday morning actually I'll, I I'll talk to you about it again it was Vicious, though it was but, unprompted, and it was vicious, and but, it was personal. But Ken, if, I was in acres of space. You, <laughs> it's such a simple ball.
3: If you have a McDevitt figure, yeah, sure, you know, nice delivery, good vocabulary, all that kind of stuff, you know, persuasive individual, but riled up and using that, the vo- using volcanic. all those verbal powers Pepper. to wound and to insult, would he be a suitable ca- candidacy for the? For they the don't vocabulary? have the job anymore. No.
0: Uh, a lot of the
1: pre-match build-up is centred around Paul O'Connell who is the Ireland captain and wins his 100th cap on Sunday I think he I think O'Connell straddles the line as I do between volcanic (laughs) temperament and diplomat but I especially enjoyed the short video put out by Three Ireland they're doing a bunch of these mini documentaries on the journeys that Irish players make from wide-eyed but determined young lad to sporting hero playing for Ireland but O'Connell as everyone knows was a promising swimmer and he outlined his swimming regimen as a kid Ken Mm. I, I don't know why I'm surprised by this but it's just when somebody lays it out like this two hours before school Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Another hour after school every day. Yeah. Two hours on Saturday morning, two hours on Sunday morning. Yeah. That's 15 hours of a week stuck with your head in a pool.
3: Yeah, I used to do the same amount except, not sound particularly except he, he should have been having a day off. Now, I used to do for the four mornings a week, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. Um, and yeah, every every evening but usually a bit shorter and then the two hours on Saturday, but he should have been, he should have well, been. Well, you're not Sunday absolutely
1: off. wrecked by, say, the, shortly after lunchtime in school. Oh, yeah,
3: yeah, absolutely. You
1: must have been asleep on the Oh, oh
3: totally, yeah. No, I <laughs> fell asleep in, in business There was one particular business studies class I used to always fall asleep in uh, on a Monday uh, afternoon. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it was impossible to stay awake. Yeah. It wasn't the reflection on the class, but it was, I mean, I used to stay a bit later on Sunday. Maybe but it went to really bed at nine o'clock.
4: Business studies
3: was boring. I listened to. When I look back on it, what a waste of time as well. I mean, how does anything we learned in school relate to the modern business environment? Oh, I
1: thought you meant the swimming was a waste of time.
3: No, the swimming uh, well, wasn't off. a waste of time. Probably should have. Kept well, on. you know, uh, uh, I mean, it's it's good to have a certain baseline level of, uh, of uh, physical health,
4: isn't it? It's blessed you with two of the finest shoulders. Uh, you know, in Europe, it I seems like it's, it Europe, seems
1: certainly. so one dimensional. Though I heard John McEnroe being interviewed by Alec Baldwin on a podcast that Simon introduced me to. Here, here here's the thing: hmm. so, uh, Alec Baldwin speaking to an impossibly famous array of names. This is some of the biggest names, and usually in the entertainment industry. But he was speaking to McEnroe, who said that when he was a kid, when he was in school, the one thing that kept him sane as a teenager, kept him from hating tennis maybe in the way that Agassi hated, supposedly hated tennis, was playing other sports. He played baseball. He played, tried out in American football, played soccer quite a bit, actually. And uh, he says that now he runs an academy, and he's a tennis academy, and the first thing he says to parents is, right, well, I'm going to get your kid and they're going to come here and we're going to focus largely on education. We're going to give them a chance to play other sports, a bit of basketball. We're not just going to be totally one-dimensional and ram tennis down their throats. Yeah. And the parents look at him and go, are you out of your mind? Yeah. This is, what, are you... Are you still like? Are you still playing with your wooden racket or something? I mean, this is 2015 now. Yeah. Of course, we don't want him to think about school or think about other sports. We want to. We, we do want to. Round tennis. We can go down to Nick Bollettieri down the road, and you know, yeah. all we think about there is tennis. So it just seems that swimming of all sports, maybe it's not the only one, but it just it could be the relentlessness of just having your head stuck in a swimming pool. It seems t- tough going. O'Connell obviously has become a. a uh, multi-talented sportsman. So maybe my argument is completely null and void. Maybe that discipline is what you need early on in one sport
3: uh, No, it's, I don't think swimming is... Swimming is is, a, is insane in terms of the amount of... If you want to do it at a competitive level, it requires an insane uh, number of hours. It's also not the most social, you know, in, in terms of the fact that a lot of the time you've got your f- your head in the water. <laughs> you know, you're there... Not much chat going on. It's an introspective. Swimming. It's an introspective kind of uh, activity. I mean, you, you, you know, you're, you're there with like a team of other people, you know, you, it's it's normal like that. But it's not it's not like playing a game like football, which is in which you're talking continually, you Sometimes know what I mean? Sometimes abusing. Yeah. There's, there's, there's not a lot of abuse. I just sports, like the idea that
1: there's a chance to play a few different sports at the same time up until well, you a later can, you age. Can do it's going to be pretty hard if you're doing that, if you're putting 15 hours a week into swimming.
3: You can you can, you can do it. I mean, kids have got, got the sort of energy that enables them to do that. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous kind of looking back, sort of how energetic. But swimming is a, is a strange one in in terms of, it's while it does make you very fit, it doesn't necessarily equip you very well for playing, like, uh, field sports. It's, like, a different type of Again, fitness. in the case of
1: Paul O'Connell, he seems to be the exception.
3: Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I don't I, I don't know what, it, what his balance was as he or when he kind of made the transition to rugby, but it kind of does tend to... Um, I bet he's not doing 15 hours of swimming a week now, regardless of the <laughs> health benefits, which are substantial. Simon, thank you.
1: Thanks. I uh, hope you're enjoying this Irish Times second captain's all-sports podcast. We've got a brand-new football show out now. Ken, what's in it?
2: That's,
0: yeah,
2: <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well oh, you can laugh, I have to walk up.
0: I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want
2: to be like me. Do you don't know what you're talking about. Well, yeah. did
3: you know that life to... is stay alive, is it's right, day day now, okay, we'll it? Later. Later. I'd
2: say it to your face, not say it to oh, you now. You
3: I'm down to Anfield and we'll see the
2: what you're doing down here, you show man.
3: <laughs> well, we're going to talk a little bit about Chelsea, on uh, and Paris Saint-Germain. Uh, the home of Thiago Silva and David Luiz. Big hearted lads on. Uh, Big hearted lads who knocked Chelsea out of the Champions League. And uh, a couple of other bits and pieces. Uh, do League tune related. in for
1: Ken Early's story of switching off a little bit attention-wise at Martin O'Neill's press conference today. I and, wouldn't say being on, I, just, I was
3: multitasking. And being rumbled by the boss man at the FAI. I wasn't. It's a good story. I, I, like was, I wasn't switching off. I was simply trying to do, that's just the way it is, you know. In this, this this flat world, this flat earth that we live in now, you know, six billion human beings all embroiled in the same rat race. You've got to be able to do two or more things at the same time. So while Martin O'Neill was talking, I was also perusing yeah. a document on my on my computer screen. Uh, You've got to be able to do that. Oh, we'll, we'll, I mean, we will the, hear the from Martin story had, The,
1: the story, Yeah, Martin O'Neill was also, you, you were also paying attention to what Martin O'Neill yeah. was saying.
3: Yeah, you got you know. to subdivide.
1: It's Cheltenham Gold Cup Day tomorrow. It's Friday. We'll get your tips now from Johnny Ward of the Racing Post. Johnny, everybody's talking about Viniaco Conti, uh, pl- uh, who was gone close a couple of times before this. Is this the year that he gets over the line?
6: Yeah, I think it might be, to be honest, uh, Owen. And, you know, it's, it's definitely encouraging for his backers. Paul Nichols has such a good day on day two. Uh, You know, Willie Mullins dominated day one, but... Nichols showed that he hadn't gone away, you know, uh, very much on the second day. Uh, He's a treble. And I think Sylvie Nacco-Conti is the horse to beat. Uh, I saw one bookmaker was making him four to six to be uh, favorite in the race on Thursday morning. And I think that was, I thought it was a huge price, to be honest. As you say, he has been beaten twice in the race before. But for me, he's just a better horse this year.
1: He's been beaten in somewhat strange circumstances, circumstances over the last couple of years.
6: Yeah, he was travelling well two years ago when uh, he he exited. And last year, I think he went around even money in betting in play. Uh, he looked to be really, really travelling powerfully. And it was a strange race last year. He was one of the horses that faded and a couple of horses came from behind him. Uh, I don't think the form of last year's race is all that kind of bulletproof. What I'd be more looking at is what he's achieved this year. And to me, he's the outstanding horse this year. You know, and the rest of them, plenty in with sort of each way chances. But I think, you know, his King George form is solid. Maybe not spectacular, but solid. They put cheek pieces on him this year. Uh, he just seems a better horse. You know, he, he's probably been given a bit of time. I think he stays really well, to be honest, Cheltenham. Doesn't really bother me at all, even though a lot of people say that it's not his course.
1: You sound confident about him. So there's no uh, issue in, you know, has obviously won this race with Denman and Cotto Starr. There's, there's nothing that those horses had that maybe, we're still waiting to see, that maybe Sylvain Conti still
6: lacks. Uh it's hard to compare uh, we, we always hear trainers saying that it's hard to compare one horse to the next you know Nicholas has won the race four times and yeah, they, and they course, say that
1: in all sports Johnny but it's good fun to compare them all the same
6: it is definitely my, my problem with comparisons is that you know genetically we're just improving as a species the whole time so it's, it's kind of and if you look at a Gaelic football game from Lea Gale or something in the nineteen forties, like it looks like a completely different sport, you know. Yeah. But anyway, um, Sylvian Acolconti to compare him with likes of Denman and Cota Star—that was a golden era, really, in terms of staying chasers. Whether this one is, is is definitely debatable. I think we might have a proper one next year in Don Poli. But anyway, Sylvian Conti maybe he mightn't be quite as good as. Uh, Denman and Cotto on their day but Cotto's star came to Cheltenham with a lot of people saying he couldn't win a Gold Cup that he wouldn't stay and uh, you know Sivinac Conti I think he'll be well able to answer similar questions about his ability to win a Gold Cup
1: Carlingford Lock will probably be the, the sentimental choice for a lot of people I would imagine this is Tony McCoy's last Cheltenham Gold Cup
6: Big time, yeah. Uh, he's one of two Galway plate winners who's very prominent in the betting, which is quite remarkable. I'm very proud of that as a Galway man that our mm-hmm. kind of signature race has, has such a bearing on the Gold Cup. Carlingford Lock, uh, when he won the Hennessy sound uh, the last day, it was genuinely a pleasure to be there. The reception Tony McCoy got cause it was just after he announced he was going to retire. John Kiley's a master trainer. I think he's going to fall short, but you know he should give a good run, good good account for himself, and um, it'd be some. I tell you, they, they would bring the house down if this one because McCoy in Britain, he's he's an absolute legend over there.
1: I saw a uh, is he just before we get on. Is he seen the same way in there's such fondness for him in Ireland? Obviously, he's he's achieved a lot of success in the UK, so he is seen the same way over there. There's no sense that because because he's Irish, he's he's in any way less popular than he would be if he was English.
6: I think he's more popular in Britain than he is in his homeland, to be honest, because he's basically made his career there, and British punters have that affinity with him, from backing him to win bad races on yaks, uh, given everything he has to win really rubbish races on a Monday, when I suppose other jockeys wouldn't, wouldn't be as bothered about it, and his, his drive just to win races, whereas in Ireland he's kind of come over here, and I don't think in Ireland he's anywhere near as legendary because he's just taken on far better jockeys. Yeah,
1: fair enough. I saw one punter was uh, I read today so sure of McCoy winning this race on Carlingford Lock that he lumped two hundred pounds on him after seeing the jockey's face in a crisp. Is this the kind of uh, the kind of madness that envelops people at Cheltenham?
6: Yeah, well, as as somebody tweeted to me yesterday, I saw a dude going into the bookies in uh, Terenure with uh, one arm in a sling and a newly born baby in the other, and uh, must be Cheltenham. And uh, yeah, I mean th- there are. Certain ways you can pick a winner. One of them is to study the form, One of them is to ask your wife what her favourite name is, and the other one is to look at your crisps.
1: Is there anyone else uh, outside of the the couple of horses we mentioned there? You obviously sound really confident about Akko Conti Is there anyone that you think might surprise him?
6: I yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying he's a certainty by any means, Silvino Conti But I think he's the horse to beat. Uh, the to me, they're the two horses presently uh, second and third in the betting, Hollywell and Jack Adam, I think they're the two. Hollywell has very good course form. I really liked his win the last day in the minor race. thought he looked full of himself. Jack Adam uh, is the up-and-coming horse for Willie Mullins. Willie's never won the Gold Cup, which is hard to believe. But Jack Adam, uh, he's, he's only six. He won the Thaestes for off-top weight. I definitely give him a chance. You know, the... This is a betting race for the bookies because there's going to be so many horses being backed each way. Lord Windermere won the race last year. Um, his stable has struggled a lot since, but uh, you still couldn't completely rule him out. But my two against Sylvia would be Hollywell and Jack Adam, but I think the safest proposition here is to back the favourites. I wouldn't be surprised if the bookies took him on a bit as well.
1: The Gold Cup still has the same same luster for you, Johnny, every year?
6: No, it doesn't. Um, it's one of the races of the of the grade ones, and and this is including the novice races. This is one of the races I've been least interested in all, all year. It's a race that, um, as the years have gone on, I've been you know less and less allured by. Having said that, if Don Polly runs in it next year, I'll be all over it again. He's why, yeah?
1: Why have you? Uh, why do you become a bit uh, disenfranchised by it?
6: Last year uh, there were about six of them jumping the last all together, and it was fought out by Lord Windermere and. Uh, on his own, I backed on his own the next day, he ran an absolute stinker um, and there have been, since the Koto Star sort of best mate days uh, uh, since colt Star best mate Denman those days, the Gold Cup winners really haven't gone on, they haven't been sort of horses to back it up, uh, they've been horses who've gone on to be beaten at Aintree and they're just forgettable Gold Cup winners now, it's a race over fences, three miles two and a half furlongs, uh, around a very stiff track, it's a bit of a slog uh, I think it needs a new star and I think Don Polly might arrest it uh, from its Somewhat decline next year.
1: Yeah, most people you hear from are still still big it up uh, the same way they do most years. Is that, is that just the hype that goes around this race in the in the industry?
6: Yeah, like, I mean, all trainers and jockeys, they want to win a Gold Cup, but, like, it's kind of like, you know, punters, the five euro each way once a year, punters, they lump into the Grand National, which is probably the worst race you could ever have a bet in. The Gold Cup might might even be the second worst, you know. In terms of actual race and aficionados, all the talk and all our preview nights is about um, novices, really, and the champion hurdle. The Gold Cup was sort of a... We're, we're coming to the Friday now. Ah, I just want to have a point. You know, the Gold Cup it is what it is this year. Not really that interest.
1: Well, Johnny, I'm glad I finished with that rather than starting on, on that uh, on that footing. Uh, and we got the tips in anyway. It's great to talk to you and enjoy it if you can. Thanks a million for chatting. I
0: will
1: do, uh, Johnny Ward. Not exactly buying into the hype machine around the Gold Cup there. No. Uh, I, as I said to Johnny, I'm glad I. I started by getting a few tips and talking about what might happen in the race before revealing that he doesn't care much for <laughs> the race itself. You look staggered by the AP McCoy on a crisp story, lads. Well, yeah, uh, here it is. I don't, You haven't seen it just yet. I'll, I'll show you first. Kieran. this is the crisp, okay. which supposedly looks like AP McCoy. Somebody's about 200 pounds based on this. Mm. Ken, I'll swing this crisp around to you. It's a, it looks like a smoky bacon type of flavor. Oh,
3: uh, that's that's AP McCoy. You, you see AP McCoy there, do you? Well, I mean, truly, that's like a... That must be an official piece, piece of merchandise. I like see
1: it?
4: two... Splotches, roughly uh, the same height from the bottom of the crisp. That's they're, they're his eyes, and then after that, I don't see anything else even vaguely resembling his What a human colour film.
1: is this dress? Oh, here yeah. we go. <laughs> <laughs> of all things that have ever happened on the internet, that, that dress Come thing. I know uh, to wrap ben, this up, day, I think. There's a poll at the bottom there. Does the face and the crisp look like A.P. McCoy? I clicked on no,
4: as this is a topic that's very of course, important to debate. Yeah. You, For- can, you can't see the results unless you vote. You see 48% yes,
1: 52% no mm. at the moment. That that that's change. a real
4: tight, tight, tight one, tight
1: squeeze. Right, just before we wrap up, the really sad news came through today that the Today FM presenter, Tony Fenton, has passed away. We had a lovely chat with Tony on air, I remember at Euro 2012 in Poland and a few drinks with him afterwards. He was unbelievably nice and was one of the first people to really encourage us to go and do a TV show. An absolute gent to us, and we'd just like to offer our condolences to his friends and his family. Make sure to check out the football podcast. Lots of good stuff in there after Chelsea's exit from the Champions League. and. Martin Neil's squad for the game against Poland. You can check out our website, secondcaptains.com, facebook.com forward slash secondcaptains, and Twitter. We're on Twitter, obviously, at secondcaptains. Thanks, Kieran. Thank you all. Thank you again. Thanks thank very you, much, thank Kieran. Thanks for listening. Chat soon. How is that? Is That's the second time it's never
2: go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys.